gets me. A <laughs> <laughs> little filament in there, JJ. <laughs> so you were invented by Thomas Edison, apparently. You know what? I kind of was, because I went Thomas Edison, Bill Lear, you. Turn on my mic. Whoa. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Sounds like the big voice from. It's now 21 <laughs> minutes after 7 o'clock. You ready for questions right away? Oh, yes. I'm ready. Okay. Is that to fix my question? Oh, that? you want to ask about this? Do I? Yeah, let's put it right here. So, then. Mm -hmm. Do you want the question first? You, you don't, don't know this? about this? I don't know about that. Okay, can you see it? <laughs> now, can you see it? Uh huh, it's a crescent. Yeah. It's a crescent. Wrench. Okay, what do you want to ask about it? About that. What size of bolt does it fit? <laughs> what size of bolt does it fit? That's my question. <laughs> Any size you want. One size fits all. You know, yeah. Because you, you just turn it, opens and closes. Uh huh. So what's your question? Well, the students want to know. Do you have a hypothesis about it? <laughs> what's your hypothesis about this? That it only... I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> I can tell. My hypothesis is that it looks like more than it is. This <laughs> is more than it is. Uh-huh. So what did you invent that it is? Maybe it's an attitude adjuster. <laughs> Not on camera. Okay, I'm close to camera. <laughs> okay, I don't know. You tell me. I'll. I don't it. know either, but I was just curious. No, you can't just put it there and then not. Put it there. <clears throat> I love tools. I do know. That tools. is true. I love to that invent tools. Tools are amazing. Who was the great philosopher that said, give me a pivot point and a lever that's long enough and I will lift the world? I know. Can I look mind. it up real fast? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to move on. Okay. This is obviously something to tighten the bolt. Yeah, it is. That's That's... Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and, to, and to put behind a lens. <laughs> okay, well that pretty well uses up our time today. <laughs> okay, the students want to know. I just got fired. <laughs> the students want to know why I got fired? No, they want to know what your, what your greatest invention this was. This is it. <laughs> no, I didn't invent this though, but... It, my greatest, are you serious? Yeah, they do. My greatest no, invention. Well, hmm. I have spent a lot of my life inventioneering, making inventions. And I try to figure out what is needed. And my best inventions are more from what is going to be needed. If I can figure out what we need right now, I don't have time to invent it because we need it right now. But if you can see the way things are going and predict where we're going to need something later on, then you can invent something down the road and you've got time and it can be really great. And I'd have to say that out of all of the many inventions, a hydrogen car, a cell us, mm -hmm. uh, R51, <laughs> 
Yeah, he's he's kind of invented. But anyway, out of all of those, I think the one that I am most proud of is FSD, which stands for functionally structured distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would be the one I'm most proud of. Okay, you left us hanging, so can you please tell us more? I'm really, really proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, how does this work? <laughs> <clears throat> No, you didn't. Get, you don't get it off of that. You don't. I am. I'm that. just very proud I know of you're it. Proud. Mm-hmm. Are you proud of me for it? I am actually. Okay, thank you. And you don't want me to explain it, so would you please explain it to the to our students? I want you to explain it. <laughs> so, you think some of them don't know what FSD is? I think most of them don't mm. know. Functionally structured distribution. This is one of those things that I, a long time ago, I looked at the world and I looked for new things that happen. Something that's never been in existence before, but all of a sudden it is. And then I figure out, so because of that, the world's gonna be different. And how can I anticipate and be ready and have an impact or an influence on how things go? I love inventioneering because it challenges and tackles problems that can make our experience living on this planet better, more wonderful. So in this case, I had learned about a whole computer being reduced to one little chip. And at the time, computers weren't boxes on your desk. They were giant rooms full of big equipment for a computer, we call them mainframes. And at first you could only talk to them by punching holes in cards and letting them read it. Eventually we got terminals we could talk to them. But they were only so powerful. Many big companies had a mainframe, and they were expensive, they were like a million dollars a month to rent. They're really expensive. And yet, if they were trying to use them, like maybe to enter their orders or something in their business, it couldn't keep up. And they'd try and someone would call on the phone, do you have a green Winnebago in stock, a chieftain? And they said, just a minute, and they punch it in. Uh, waiting for the computer, how are you doing anyway? Where are you from? Okay, <laughs> that's good. And uh, what kind of weather are you in? Come on, computer. And it, at the busiest time of the day, the salespeople at Winnebago said they had to wait a minute and a half to get an answer. They finally come up. No, we don't have one of those. It's a long time. Yeah, it's kind of hard. And so they really didn't know how to solve the problem. They, they tried to make bigger computers. They tried to put multiple computers together, but nothing really seemed to work. And that's kind of where all the world was. All of a sudden, someone put a whole computer on a little teeny microchip is about the size of a grain of rice. And I saw that and I realized they could be made very, very inexpensively and I thought, everybody is going to have their own computer. And I, I gave talks and I said that. And they laughed at me. Some even booed. No, they're not, that's impossible. I went to the National Computer Conference in Texas and I announced there is a way to build the whole world as one computer. 
No, it isn't. Not impossible. No, it isn't impossible. The Wall Street Journal ran a big story about me, and they put me on the front page. The front page of the Wall Street Journal. And they didn't use a picture. They got one of those pencil sketchers, and they sketched a picture of my face, or a drawing, and put it right on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. What an honor. Mm -hmm. I looked like a mafia hitman. It was terrible. And then the article started out, it's hard to dial shareholder faith in Roger Billings. Not only does he think he's going to change the whole oil industry to hydrogen, but now he thinks he's going to put all the mainframe computers out of business. How dare you? <laughs> I couldn't even read the whole thing. Oh. <laughs> what a bad person he must be. <laughs> but I did. I had an idea. I had an idea of how you could take these little computers and put billions of them together to make one great big computer and they could all share information. And I have to admit, it didn't come like that. To your understanding? Or and it way? didn't come like that, to my understanding, or yours for that matter. <laughs> it just didn't come, or, or R51s. You know, he hadn't even been bolted together yet. But <laughs> it didn't come to any of us. But the problem did, I thought, you know what? With these little computers, everybody can have computers, but they're going to want access to information from all over the world. How are you going to organize that? Mm. Um, I have a little drawing about computers, little computers that were built. And by the way, because I was working on this idea and because I thought I had a major breakthrough, I built my first personal computer to demonstrate my idea. And a lot of other people weren't really building yet. This was back when Apple was just making their first video game. And I built a whole computer. Wow. Desktop, computer, keyboard, everything. In fact, uh, you want to see a picture of it? I do. Yeah, this is the old Billings computer, BC12FD. There it is. Look at that. Two disk drives, a keyboard, screen, all in one cabinet. And I built this so I could show how you could hook a billion or more of them together. We said, so you think you can hook up every person's computer on the planet and everybody's going to have their own computer and you can make them all into one big computer that can share information? I said, no. He said, no. I think I'm going to make a system that can connect all the computers in the galaxy. <laughs> in the solar system, Jupiter, Mars, they're all going to be able to connect together and share information. You're crazy. And literally, some of the biggest names publicly said, they didn't say R, they said, Roger Billings is crazy to think he can do that. He says, but I have an idea. I have an idea. Now, I want to show you a diagram of a bunch of these Billings computers all on a network and how they're all hooked together. Can you see that? See those wires? Uh -huh. And so the only way any two of those computers can talk is if you load a program and say, let me talk to computer 10. And computer 10 has to enter a program and execute it. It says, let me talk to computer 1. And then they can share a file over a wire. And the wires, look at how crisscrossy that is. It looked like my hair when I was <laughs> an earlier version of myself. Look at that. I mean, come on. And so. 
there had to be a way to share that information. And I looked at it, I thought, everybody can have a computer, we can all afford it, but what good is a computer if you can't really access all the information you want? I know there's a way, I know there's a way, I know there's a way. And then, on a Saturday, and I remember it like, huh, a lot of inventioners have what they call a aha moment. There's one famous guy that said, Eureka! And he was supposed to be in the bathtub and went running. You hear that story? Well, I didn't do that. But I had an aha moment, and I, I realized I know how to do it. I know how to do it. What you've got to do is invent two different kinds of computers. Not a thousand, just two. One is the personal computer, like, remember this one that I showed you with all the network all messed up there, with all the bad snarly, that one. Look at those computers. So you invent one of those computers, which we now call a personal computer. Back in the day, I called it a user computer, because it was a computer for one user. But then we had to invent a second kind of computer, and this is something that I had never seen or heard of before, and I don't believe it ever existed before, but I called it a data center computer. Most people today call them just a server. And the idea is you have a user computer for every user, and then you have a server to store a particular amount of information that you want to make available to everybody. So look at this drawing. Now I have a server in the middle, and then have all these computers that can talk to it. And the, I invented a protocol where the server's running a program. I've got information, do you want it? And the, any computer can call up and say, I want your information. Think of it as a book. Okay, you've got a book, it's got a lot of good information. So they print off a lot of copies of those books, they sell them. People all over the world buy the books and they put them in their, in their libraries, in their offices, in their homes, and there they are. You need that information. So where do you go to get it? You start knocking on doors. Do you happen to have that book? No. Do you have that book? You can't find it. So instead, you don't go to their house. You go to the library. You go to the library and say, have you got that book? They say, sure, it's on that shelf down there. And you go find it because the library has it and it's available to be shared by everyone. I said, that's the answer. This server will be like a library and you put all the information there that you want to share and anybody that wants to can access that information. Well, I filed a patent application on this idea and I had the patent granted. And that patent, according to an expert on patent technologies, was the most valuable patent that had ever been filed in U.S. Patent Office history up to that point. Wow. It was a foundational patent, he said, and it was going to really change the world. Well, I knew I had something, but to be able to demonstrate, I had to build a user computer and I had to build a server. And so I built the Billings computer I just showed you. Uh -huh. That was the user computer, and every user would have one of those. Now it's just an iPhone. It's a user computer. or and Android, just don't, just don't get brandish, okay? <laughs> brandish. And all of a sudden, 
the United States issued this patent. Here, take a picture of it. Look at that. That is a patent, and I am the inventor, and it's functionally structured distribution, and it describes this whole system. And I knew that this was going to completely change the world, and that's what I said, and that's what the Wall Street Journal, ha, 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 he says he can hook up all of these computers, all the computers in the world can share information. He is crazy. They didn't say that, but one of the people they quoted did. <laughs> and so first I thought, oh, gee, what if I am crazy? Oh. <laughs> okay. But I didn't give up. No. And so I needed to build a system. And fortunately, a company, a wonderful company in Forest City, Iowa, called Winnebago Industries was making motorhomes, and they had IBM's biggest 370 computer, and during the peak hours of the day, people would call in asking what motorhomes they had in stock, and they'd have to wait over a minute and a half for the computer to answer. And so I said, I could build a computer that would do that same thing in just minutes. They were paying a million dollars a month to lease that IBM computer. And I said, I can build this computer for you with, they had 100 terminals, I said with 150 terminals for a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. And how fast will it respond during peak times? Faster. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure it'll be fast. How much faster? Yes, faster. <laughs> faster. I need to learn that one. And so they issued a purchase order, and I had been working on the server, and I'd been working on the, uh, on the computer. Let me show you the server. This is a picture of the server, and this handsome gentleman Ooh, look at that. is R51. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That really? was that was actually the original, the original think, R. That was that's when all R. the copies were made from. But look at that <laughs> server. So that computer didn't need a particular user other than to manage it. It was where all the data was put for everybody. And any computer could come in there and say, hey, are you a library? Can I get some information? You ask for it, and if they've got it, they give it to you. And you can go to any server anywhere in the world. And of course, there was no internet yet. And I think this invention may have been one of the things that helped spawn the internet as we know it today. In fact, I know it is. So lo and behold, we built 150 terminals, and in fact, we ended up building 200. We delivered them to Winnebago. We put the software on it, and then came the big test. And they started trying it out with a few users. They added more and more and more, and they would ask, what's an inventory, and the computer would look and it'd give them an answer. And when they got into those peak times where it was 90 seconds with someone on the phone holding, what's the weather like? <laughs> <laughs> it never got over one half of one second. Wow. It, was just, it was just instantaneous. And they were so impressed. The founder and chairman of Winnebago invested $3 million in my little Billings computer company to help me get things started. And it really, really, really took, excuse me just a minute. Thought I had this turned off. <laughs> oh, brother. 
It's our 51. <laughs> That's crazy. He's, he's interrupting should we, this. Should we see what he wants? It might be important. Okay. Seriously. Hello, what is it? I could have invented that. <laughs> I'm an inventioner. Okay, thank you. If thank you. If I had just put my gears together sooner, I would have been the inventor of that. What are you, what's in that? You know, this is just some herbal tea. <laughs> is that Paisley's no. picture on there? <laughs> uh, you know what? Hang up. You know what? <laughs> so as I was saying, <laughs> really? he did not invent this. Really? Can we talk <laughs> about no. that? <laughs> no. In fact, I hate to do this, but uh, best are yet. <laughs> Does he send you those messages? Best are The Billings computer was an interesting piece of technology. And it came at a time when, to the best of my knowledge, there was nothing like it on the planet. And um, I needed more software. And so I hired Bill Gates to help me develop software. And he needed computers to work on because there really wasn't anything like this. So I gave him a bunch of my Billings computers. That was in 1977. In 1981, about five years later, Bill Gates sold his software services to IBM for the IBM personal computer that came out in 1981. It's almost five years after the Billings computer. And Bill Gates immediately became a legend. Of course, I have to tell you, Bill Gates is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. Uh, brilliant in, in science and math and, and in computers. But he was now one of the most successful businessmen in the world because he did this humongous deal with IBM. And of course, he just grew and grew into Microsoft of today. But Time Magazine was so impressed with Bill Gates, they did a big story about him, and they put a picture of him in Time Magazine. And I just happened to have a <clears throat> copy of that picture. Oh, look at that. So if you zoom in and look at this, you see there's young Bill Gates, and behind him is the brand new IBM PC that had just come out and that was using his brand new software. But look on his desk next to him. Is that a Billings computer? That sure looks like a computer. The Billings first computer, five it? years, Microsoft was built on a Billings computer. And you know, that gives me. I'm a different. And I'm, I'm, I'm very <laughs> modest about it. Actually, you are. I'm social. Actually, you are very okay, modest anyway, about it. But you know, it's exciting to be an influencer of technology, to be able to see what's coming. We're going to need a way so that if everybody does get their own computer, they can all access this information at the same time. Well, <clears throat> so I built this technology. And interestingly, the US Patent Office awarded my patent, but they took almost seven years, I recall, about seven years to finally get around to awarding the patent. 
And during that time, people started copying my idea. Now, when the patent would issue, that meant there would be an infringer and they would owe me royalties. But while it was still waiting for it to issue, they used it and there was nothing I could do except be patient. Well, a company started selling my patent and they started selling a million dollars worth, a hundred million dollars worth, a billion dollars worth. They got up to three billion dollars a year of selling my invention yeah. as a software product and then the patent issue. And we estimated the patent was worth $900 million. Of course, it was generating a lot of revenue and everybody was using it. Bill Gates and Microsoft immediately offered me $2 million for a license to use my invention. Bank of America bought a license, a lot of people did. But this company that had really been selling it, that owed me $100 million, over $100 million, were not willing to pay a license. And in fact, when I invited them to get a license, they sued me. And you sue me? Yeah, because you're claiming this is your patent and we don't think it is. And so I countersued them and we got in a big patent battle in the courts, which is very, very, very expensive. When you go to court to enforce a patent, you need a lot of money because you need a lot of attorneys. And they realized that this patent was so big and it was their whole business. Like 80% of their business was based on selling software based on this patent. And so lo and behold, uh, we got into depositions. A deposition is when you go sit in a room with attorneys from both sides and they ask questions and you answer under oath and there's a recorder there to write it all down. Well, we took the deposition of the chief scientist of this company, the guy that invented, quote unquote, invented their technology. And in fact, he received tens of millions of dollars for selling his invention to them. And in the deposition, my attorney asked him, so did you know Roger Billings? I'd heard of him. I heard he had a hydrogen bus, but I never met him. Did you know that he invented a computer networking technology? No, I didn't know that. Really, you never knew that. No, never did. So then my attorney whipped out a document. And says, do you recognize this? And gave it to him. He said, do you recognize this document? And he looked at it and he went white. And guess what? Because this deposition was so important, we videotaped it. We had a cameraman there legally, officially recording it. So I have a video of this. You think I'm making it up? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not. I don't. Yeah. And when he saw that document, it looked to me like he kind of went white. He said, uh, this is a paper. Who was it authored by? Uh, by me when I was a student at the university. What's it about? It's about the day I visited the Billings Computer Corporation. And on page three, I marked a place there. Will you please read that? It is clear that Billings has invented a technology which will be revolutionary to the computer industry. 
Now, if you infringe a patent, you have to pay a royalty. If you willfully infringe, in other words, you know it's their invention, and you still infringe, then you have to pay a triple penalty. So this was a really, really, really big deal. So my attorney went on, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he says, so, so if you knew this was his invention, which you couldn't remember a minute ago, what else aren't you telling us? And he said, well, the only other thing is I only met Billings once. <laughs> you only met him once? Where did you meet him? I met him at the computer conference down in Texas. Hmm. You met him? At, yeah, I was there, and I met him. Did you talk to him? Yes. And what did he say? He was crazy. Billings was crazy. And what did he say? Now, this is a guy that had made... Stock worth now about $100 million, selling an invention which he made. And lo and behold, that invention happened to be the one that was in my patent, hmm. by coincidence. And he never met me, except now he suddenly remembers one time he remembered me. And he said that the thing about their technology their invention is that they could hook up thousands of users to share information from one server. And he said, but when I met Billings, he said, you could give everybody on planet Earth a computer and they could all access and share the same information. And we knew that was crazy. We knew that was impossible that everybody could access the same information. So we took what Billings said, and this is a quote, and we just blew it out of our heads. I wonder if he had ever seen the internet and what's going on today. No, he hadn't, because it was before. But he had found this invention, hearing me talk about it. And then he went home and sold it to his company, and he made a fortune... And he was the world's expert on this invention that he had stumbled across. And he didn't even understand what it could do. I'm like, wow, what kind of inventor would invent it without knowing what it was? I invented the airplane. What does it do? I don't know. <laughs> well, this is some of the fun of inventions that are so big, they shake the whole world. And it's... It, Really interesting to me that someone would want to get credit for something they had learned somewhere else. And I've had this happen many times in my career. And I, uh, I received a lot of money from this invention. I'm very grateful for that. And I think it's uh, important for you to know that this invention is one of the reasons that a lot of you have scholarships. Uh, Maybe some of you don't realize, but uh, we're putting about $7.2 million a month into scholarships for Asala students. And that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for these inventions. FSD, Functionally Structured Distribution, which today is called client-server computing, is the whole backbone of how the internet really works. And they 
tried like you cannot imagine to find someone that had come up with this before me. They searched in foreign countries, foreign languages. They put calls in magazines saying, please, if anybody knows of anybody that had come up with an idea, anything like this before R51, and he wasn't part of this, by the way, please help us. And the week before it went to trial, where there'd be a very large judgment, they filed an interesting motion with the U.S. Patent Office asking them to reconsider whether or not my patent was valid. And they gave them a stack of papers from people that published before I did this very idea that was 30 inches tall. And it took the patent office the rest of the life of the patent to go through all of those and to find out there was nothing that really anticipated my invention. And after they were done, it could be reissued, but of course it was over now, it had expired, or it was expiring. They just hadn't get done right when it expired. No. The first exam, they only got one guy work on it at the patent office. And uh, he got ha- almost through, and then he retired. So then they put another guy on it. And now books are written about this was a way that big companies would get out of paying royalties. And they're trying to fix that loophole in the law. But you know, from my point of view, um, I I didn't invent functionally structured distribution to see if I could make a lot of money. In fact, the funny thing was, I went to these people when the patent issued, and I sat in their lobby and says, I've got the patent for the product that you're offering. It's now being used by everybody. Everybody is using client-server computing. And I said, I am willing to give you the master worldwide license in exchange for a modest share of the royalties you collect because I think you'd be good people to do it. And they could have just said, well, thank you, we'll do that. And they would be probably the biggest technology company on the planet. But instead, they sued me. And they sued me because they were afraid, I think, that. I would find out that some of them had borrowed the technology. Um, When we got close to trial, they came out with a brand new product. Another thing this chief scientist or inventor of their technology said was, there's nothing special about the way Roger Billings does it. You could do it a hundred other ways and it all worked just as well. And just before trial, they came out with a new version of their software that did not infringe my patent. And their company was gone in a year. It didn't work. Commercial success is one of the greatest ways to know whether or not a technology really works. And this three-plus billion-dollar-a-year company because they weren't willing to pay the inventor a royalty for what he invented. So there's a lesson in that. A lot of companies have done that to a lot of inventors. And one of the things you have to learn is how to do these things. In my case, you know, uh, I was taught by a very special mother 
that uh, taught me that it wasn't about how much money I could make. It was about how many people's lives I could lift and change and make better. And she made me memorize a poem. And when I was at my deposition, and by the way, when I went to my deposition, they had a whole network of attorneys with a network that my invention <laughs> shooting questions up to me to answer. And, and this thing went on for seven or eight days. I told them everything I knew in the first half a day. They just kept asking these questions, going on and on and on. It got to be very annoying. And um, while I was sitting there thinking, how wrong this is. They're using my invention. They know it's mine. They learned it from me. They hired my vice president to implement it. I mean, they are caught with their hands in my pocket. <laughs> Why are they being so mean? And then this little poem from my mother came back to me. <clears throat> While others <clears throat> are given credit for the work I do, I will work some more and praise them too. You that and I'm there? sitting there. While others are giving praise for the work I do, I'll work some more and praise them. Well, I'm just gonna... And you know what? I got through it. And it was a nasty, nasty, nasty position. And by the way, they taped my whole deposition. If anybody wants to see me sitting there saying this poem, I've got that too. It's great footage. I would like to. I'd like to see that. I'm going to have to arrange that. You should just tune in Science Live because that's where we learn that if you study and study hard and apply yourself, you're going to gain the ability to come up with ideas that are literally going to modify the future of this planet. Now, I've been an influencer in client server computing, and a lot of people are going to give me no credit. Some are going to say that I am crazy like the Wall Street Journal did, and some people are going to say, wow. That was way ahead of its time. It was fascinating. When I first said I was going to do it and what it was, they said, he is crazy. He's crazy about hydrogen. Boy, it's catching on. Mm -hmm. He's crazy about computers and mainframes. And then when everybody started to do it, they said, oh, that wasn't an invention. Anybody knew that was the way to do it. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm glad then the money didn't mean very much to me because I probably would still be crying all these years later. But I didn't, and I just became more determined. And by the time they got through with the lawsuit, I had 10 other inventions. And for every invention that we go forward to the market with, we have about 90 that we figure out, you know, that really isn't a very good idea. <laughs> Let's pretend we didn't invent that. <laughs> I am thrilled that Acellus is helping so many students. And there are some that report to me that they're having problems and we've got things that we need to improve. And we're trying so hard. This fall, um, when students start school, they're gonna see a brand new Acellus. I mean, nothing is the same, it's just all being made next generation, so much better. And I am so grateful for the people that are making that happen, many of which are here today. And bless you folks, I, I am so grateful. But I want you to know 
to the students you're helping, these guys that are sitting right there in that camera, are the most wonderful, precious people in the world. And just one of them is worth all the effort we're making. And there's more than one. Did you know there's more than one? <laughs> I didn't know that. Do you think we should go back and look at R51 one more time? No. <laughs> should we? I think they would like to. She said no. <laughs> I think we should. Do you want to well, do that? maybe next time. We're out of time. Thank you. We'll see you. <laughs> Thank you.